speaking of excuses, we've used that word a lot, uh, just to make sure that we had no excuse to not get this message right. Uh, they put two of us up here this week. Right, no excuses. <laughs> speaking of excuses, this morning we're going to speak about excuses. That's right, and we thought it would be fun to go to the Google and find different excuses that people actually use as to why they couldn't go to work, why they were late to school, why they didn't do their homework, etc. So we pulled off some that we thought were pretty comical and a little bit bizarre, and we thought we'd share some with you. Mind you, we did not make these up. You might think that Josh did, but he didn't. These were actually found online. But so. if you're a note taker, get out your, get out your notes, get, get ready, because this, this could be some good material right here for you. You could use these. So Patricia, yes. uh, last week you were like ridiculously late to staff meeting. I was. I was a rough day. Yeah, what was, what was that all about? You're not going to believe it, but there was a zebra in the road. A zebra? There was a zebra in the road, so I couldn't make it to work. Did you hit the zebra? No. no. <laughs> Why would I do that? I don't know. You've got a Jeep. I thought maybe you'd just drive right over that beast. That's just mean. There, there, Scott there were... knows. Scott's like, yeah, Jeep, just ride right over the zebra. <laughs> Zebra, no big deal. They actually put in parentheses next to that excuse as well that that actually happened. There really was a zebra in the road, so they couldn't make it to work. So there's that. Uh, Josh, I couldn't help but notice uh, the other day we had a little bit of a get-together, and you were invited to it, and you didn't show up. You said you were going to be there, and you did, we didn't come, and we were all a little bit of upset. So explain yourself. So I was totally going to come to this, this get-together thing, mm -hmm. and I was, I was super pumped. I was getting ready. Because I was like, well, hey, I can't go to a party looking, you know, shabby. So I was brushing my hair, right? Right, right. My hairbrush got stuck in my hair. Mm, that is I look the like worst. an idiot. I've got That's a hairbrush hanging off my okay. head. Okay, I'll give that to you. Yeah. Maybe you should think about, like, shaving your head. You know, I have heard that bald men, on average, are about 25% oh more attractive. I told you not to go there. <laughs> Am I right? Am I right? <laughs> When we were practicing this, I was like, don't go there. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah. speaking, of, speaking of missing things, Tricia, last Sunday, yes. uh, you totally bailed on the young adult group. I did. Uh, why did you do that? See, I forgot where it was. You forgot where it was? Uh, yep. So. Doesn't that group meet at your house? Yes. <laughs> so, the other day... You went to school, and you didn't turn in, you didn't do home, your homework. You didn't turn it in, you didn't do it. Yeah, okay, I did my homework. But you didn't turn it in. That is correct. Okay. But I did my homework. Here's what happened. The night before, I'm getting ready for bed, and I'm putting my contacts into the solution. Right. Well, I inadvertently put super glue in there instead of contact solution. Uh, so when I woke up in the morning, I go to get my contacts, right. and, and I can't get that little... The little eyeball, eyeball thingy? The little eyeball thingy. Yeah. I can't get that open. Mm -hmm. My contacts are glued in the little eyeball thingy, and I can't see my homework without my contacts. That's so rough. So I could not find it to turn it in. Okay. Which, how do you do that? How do you mix up super glue and contact solution? You would think as you're, like, squirting it out, the consistency is a little bit different than usual. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. So some of these excuses seem a little bit bizarre, but I think we all can relate to the fact that we make excuses why we can't do something, why we can't go somewhere, why we didn't do this, why we didn't do that. I think we can all relate. Yeah, not that. only can we relate, as we read through Scripture, we see times where individuals make excuses mm -hmm. for different things. And we're going to talk about one of those individuals today, a guy by the name of Gideon. So uh, we're going to set the stage for you a little bit here before we unpack his narrative. 
Right, and if you want to follow along, you can follow us along in Judges, chapter 6 through 8. We're not going to read the whole story to you, but we are going to narrate a big section of his story for you. So you can follow along there. So to kind of set up the story of Gideon, it's important to know that the nation of Israel had been oppressed for about seven years by a group of people called the Midianites. And they came in, and they just they kind of took over their land. They harassed the Israelites. They were, they were not nice people. And uh, yeah, not, not a good time. Yeah, they, anytime they tried to grow crops or they had their animals or, wh- or whatever, anytime they tried to make good of their situation, the Midianites would come in and they would take their food, they would take, they'd take out their land. Like anytime the Israelites tried to make good, the, Israelites, uh, the Midianites would completely destroy it. And they, things had gotten so bad for the Israelites that they got to a point where they were like, you know what, maybe we should call on God. Maybe we should call on Yahweh. You know, the guy who rescued all of our ancestors from Egypt, the one who rescued us from oppression. Maybe we should call on him. And so scripture says that they did. They cried out to him, and the Lord answered. The Lord said, I am that God. I am the one who rescued you. But here's the thing. You're worshiping all of these false gods, and you're not listening to me. And this is a cycle that you see over and over again throughout the Old Testament, particularly in the book of Judges, Mm -hmm. that the nation of Israel... They would, they would violate one of the basic commandments that God gave them. And that commandment was, hey, don't have any other gods other than me. But they would say, well, yeah, we kind of like these gods over here. They look kind of cool. Let's, let's go follow them for a while. And they would do this. And then just like God told them what happened, their nation ended up in trouble. But then they would cry out to God, like, oh, Lord, help us. And then he would. He would have mercy on his people. And that's kind of what, what leads up to the story of Gideon. Is right. They've been crying out, like Patricia says. And, and God says, okay, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step in and, and intervene in this situation. And that's where we meet Gideon. Right. And to help you kind of follow along with us, we've split up his story into three acts. So we're going to head over to Act 1. Everybody say Act 1. Act 1. So when we first meet Gideon, that was good, that was good. When we first meet Gideon, Scripture tells us that he is hiding in a wine press, threshing some grain. Now, this is interesting because you don't normally thresh grain in a wine press. Now, if you would do a Google search for a wine press, you might get an image similar to what you see on the screen here. But there's usually a wall and a big pit in the ground. Uh, Basically, it's somewhere where you can go and be out of sight versus when you thresh wheat, you're out in a big open area. You know, you want the wind to be able to come through and, uh, you know, you'd be quite visible. So he's hiding. You know, maybe Gideon has managed to find a little bit of grain and he's thinking, man, I'm going to like, I'm going to try to get enough, make a couple of sandwiches you know, for the next couple of days, and be good. Again, food is really hard to come by. So he's trying to hide from the Midianites and and, uh, get a couple of sandwiches worth of grain. And while he's hiding, all of a sudden an angel of the Lord appears, and the angel says two things to him. He says, the Lord is with you, and then calls him a mighty man of valor. Now Gideon didn't focus on the mighty man of valor part. He focused on the, the part that said the Lord is with you. And he goes, okay, if the Lord is really with us, why are all of these things happening? I mean, if he really was the God who rescued us from Egypt and from oppression, why are we hiding? Why are we starving? It seems like he's forsaken us. And then the Lord shows up. And the Lord says, go in this might of yours. You are going to save Israel from all of the Midianites. It's I who have sent you. And then, you know, since his first you know, attempt to kind of get around it didn't work, Gideon says, oh, okay, well, wait. Ha, I've got another objection. Here's the deal. My family and our clan, we are the weakest family there is. And in my family, who again, by the way, we're the weakest, I'm the least. So I'm like the, I'm super nobody. If there was a superhero of nobodies, it would be me because I'm, I'm the nobodyest nobody that this town has ever seen. 
<laughs> he said, yeah, that's, I think that's a word. Is that a word? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Being the nobody of nobodies is really ironic. Since the Lord said to him, the angel of the Lord said, mighty man of valor. And the Lord said he was going to go do something in his might. Gideon focuses on the fact that he was the weakest of his family. But it was almost like the Lord was declaring, like, this can be you. I see this in you. You are capable of doing this in me. And then God says, hey, here's, here's the way it's going to work. You're going to go out. You're going to fight against the Midianites. You're going to lead Israel against the Midianites. And you're going to tear up on them as if you were fighting one dude. He says, hey, here's the outcome. I'm calling you to do this. I'm telling you that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to accomplish something here. And here's the outcome. Which, I don't know if you've ever like, tried to listen to God. A lot of times he'll give us direction. He doesn't always give us the outcome. For Gideon, he gave the outcome. Mm -hmm. He says, here's exactly what's going to happen. And I'm going to do this. However, that doesn't seem to uh, be enough for Gideon. That's right. So in Act 1, Gideon gets a calling. He's called a mighty man of valor. He's given the outcome. He's told, go in the might of God. Go. But he spends so much time making excuses as to why he couldn't do what God had called him to do. Then we move over to Act 2. And it, here he's not really making excuses, but it's almost as if he's looking for excuses. Scripture tells us that the Midianites now started to, to move further into Israel's territory. And at this time, it says the Spirit of God came on Gideon. And he blew the ram's horn, sent out messengers, basically saying, Hey, dudes, it's time to fight. Let's go. His call to arms resulted in 32,000 soldiers showing up. Which is amazing for a guy who says, hey, I'm the weakest in my family. Like, I am the least. I'm the nobody of nobodies. For him to be able to go out and gather 32,000 men, for 32,000 men to be like, yeah, we'll follow the least of these, you know that it wasn't out of Gideon's own strength. The important part of chapter 6 is the phrase that says, the spirit of the Lord possessed him. Or in some versions, it says, the spirit of the Lord clothed him. Because if he were to work out of his own strength, there's no way he could have gathered 32,000 men. But he was going in God's strength, and the outcome was completely different. So Gideon says, or God says, Gideon, I'm going to use you to do something big, and I'm going to work through you. And then he does. He works through Gideon to call 32,000 soldiers to come and fight. Mm -hmm. Now we see Gideon, again, as Patricia said, start to look for excuses maybe a little bit, because he focuses back on himself. And he says, Lord, here's the thing. Here's the thing. If you're really going to use me to do this, remember, weakest of my clan, weakest of my clan, I'm the least. If you're really going to use me, I need you to prove it to me. He says, here's what we're going to do. Tonight, I'm going to go to bed. And outside, on the ground, I'm going uh, to put some wool. I'm going to just lay a fleece out there. Right? And in the morning, I want you to make that fleece wet with dew. You know, dew every morning. Dew on the fleece. I want the ground around it dry. Sound good? Okay. Goes to bed, wakes up the next morning. Sure enough, the fleece is wet. The ground is dry. Mm -hmm. He's like, well, hey, that's, that's pretty cool. However. Mm-hmm. It still wasn't enough. It was almost like he needed to double, double check and make sure that it really was God. Uh, so he put out another wolf fleece and again was like, all right, God, this time I want you to make everything around the fleece wet, but keep the fleece dry. Okay, let's just like invert the sign a little bit. And God showed up and he did it again, which is amazing because if you rewind a little bit before the whole wolf fleece event, you see that. He, he kind of asked for a sign previous to that. Do you want to explain that sign with the, the food? Yeah, so before we even got to that, check it out. He's hanging out with the angel of the Lord. And he says, before he even gets to this, he says, he says um, 
I need a sign. I need a sign. Mm -hmm. That time he wasn't real specific. He didn't say what it was, but he, he, he goes and he gets some food. He brings it back, which, again, food is hard to come by. Mm -hmm. So, uh, again, worst case scenario, he's thinking, okay, if this guy's some kook, you know, I'm just going uh, to eat my lunch you know, and, and go home. So he brings back some food. He lays it on a rock. The angel of the Lord tells him, hey, check this out. He touches it with his staff. Fire shoots up, burns everything up. The angel of the Lord disappears. Which is pretty cool. Right, and it's in that moment that Gideon realizes that, wait a second, that guy that showed up back in Act 1, he really was from God. You see, in Act 1, he didn't really know who this guy was. He thought, well, maybe he could be a kook. We don't know. But it was in that moment when he saw the fire come up that he realized, okay, this really is God, and, I, and now I'm seeing him face to face. But even then, it wasn't enough because he then went in and asked for another sign, and then another sign, and then what happens? So then he, he's had these three signs now. Again, the angel mm -hmm. of the Lord, he, he's like, okay, I know this is God. God comes on him. He calls 32,000 men, and he's like, okay, are you really going to use me, God? He has the two tests, and it's like, okay, okay, I guess, I guess I'm the guy. So then he decides, all right, let's, let's get marching. He starts to gather the men. They start to march. They're going to go mm -hmm. engage the Midianites in battle. And that brings us to Act three. 3. And this is interesting because now we've had Gideon kind of throwing excuses out there, right? you know, kind of putting on the brakes. Now we see God start to do that a little bit. And as Gideon and his men are preparing to go engage the Midianite army, God says, hey, Gideon, here's the deal. You've got too many men. There's too many soldiers here. Which, is that a thing? Can you ever go into a battle and think, like, you've got too many men. You've got to downsize a little bit. But that's what God <laughs> did. So he says, Gideon, here's what I want you to do. I want you to gather up all your men, all 32,000 of them. That'd be quite, a, quite an undertaking, actually. That's right. 32 kids is hard enough. Yeah, 32 kids. I don't know if you've ever, have you, you ever want to imagine this? Go work in the, in the kids' area and be like, all right, guys, circle up. You will get every sort of shape other than a circle. So now Gideon's trying to circle up 32,000 guys. Right? I, I can't even imagine what that circle looks like. But he says, guys, I have a question. Are any of you scared? Because God said, here's the criteria for who we sent home. If I was Gideon, I would be like, okay, we're sending some guys home. Let's send home, like, the, the wimpy guys. Like, they can't even, you know, bench press a helium balloon kind of thing. Let's send those guys home. But God says, no, no, no. Here's what we're going to do. He's like, I want you to send home anyone who's scared. So he says, guys, uh, is anybody scared? And, and there's uh, 32,000 of them. And 22,000 are like, yep, we're scared. See you later. 22,000. Which who would, like, it's hard enough to find volunteers to be like, hey, like, show of hands, who wants to do something crazy? But to, like, be 32,000 guys, and you're like, all right, which of you guys are a bunch of wussies? And 22,000 of them raised their hand. That's us. Right? I mean, it's, it's like, yep, yeah, that's me. I'm going home. I'm doing it. So they do. But he's still got 10,000 men left, right? Mm -hmm. 10,000. You know, if, if Frank was to go out with 10,000 men, they could probably do some damage. So he's still, God says, hang on, hang on. We've got to thin the herd a little bit more. We've still got too many men. He says, Gideon, I don't, I don't want there to be any chance that you guys go into battle with your 10,000 men and you say, you know what? We did pretty good. God says, I don't want there to be the opportunity for you to take credit. I don't want your army to think, well, yeah, we're pretty, we're pretty hardcore. We check it out. 10,000 men, we whooped up on those Midianites. Because right out of the gate in Act 1, God had told Gideon, I'm going to do something pretty cool. So he says, now for that to happen, we've got to thin the herd a little bit more. That's right. So in order to tell you the next criteria that God used, which is a little bit bizarre and hilarious, and I love it, uh, we need a couple of volunteers who we already grabbed yeah, this morning. Two. 
Oh, did so, you, oh, did you change your mind? We've got our volunteers. Did all of our volunteers like? Okay, there we go. All there right. We, go. we need another. Okay. Okay. So, uh, Taylor, oh, if you could come on there. this side. Aiden, you get, Aiden, over, you get over there. Get over there, Aiden. You're over there here. There you go. And then come over here, Taylor. Okay. So now I need both of you to get down like this. Okay. Uh, Taylor, if you could just drink the water with your hands, okay? Like, put your hands in the water and. And then yes, drink. I wash the bowls. Okay. And yes, they're clean. Yep. Just like that. All right. And Aiden, I need you to drink the water without using your hands. Just stick your face right down in it, brother. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Keep drinking. Keep drinking. Keep going. <laughs> Keep going. So this is, so God says, hey, Gideon, I want you to pay attention to how the soldiers are drinking water. Again, this is, who, who decides on an army like that, right? I think it's God amazing. Does. He's, he does things a little differently than we do. How are you doing down there? He says, okay, we should make this a race. I know, how many, you how can, can you get to the it? bottom first? Right, A or B. It's a little bonus. It's a little bonus. All right. So God says, hey, Gideon. Everyone that's using their hands to drink the water, that's who you're keeping. Everyone who's like, you know, waterboarding themselves like this, like, we're going to send them home. Which I have never, I've never seen anybody like. Who drinks like that? Super thirsty. <laughs> Especially he's like. He's going to drink it all. He is. He's, <laughs> I mean, he's doing pretty good. Like, imagine doing that next to like 9,699 other like stinky, sweaty soldier dudes, like, and you're all just like, yeah, that's gross. That's super gross. It, yeah, it's a, little, it's a little different, but that's the criteria that God used to downsize his army once again. Yeah, so he says, all these guys drinking like Aiden, you guys go home. Everyone who's drinking it like Taylor, you get, that's the army. 300. Mm -hmm. 300 is what he ends up with. All right, you guys, yeah, you, you're good. Let's give them a hand. He almost drank all of it. Aiden, he's like... There's almost no water, water Aiden's left. Aiden's not going to be thirsty for a while, man. He's just, he went to town on that. That's, That's Mad right. Bob's brother. <laughs> so the army started at 32,000, and now he's down to 300. Absolutely no room for human credit. No room. And now God says, all right, Gideon, this is your army. Let's arm up with, like, the super unconventional weapons of a torch, a jar, and a trumpet, because that's how we win battles, right? Apparently... And he says, go to, go to fight. Mm -hmm. He says, it's time. But God tells him, but if you're scared, right? Remember, this is that, this is that criteria he gave the 32,000. If you're scared, God tells Gideon, I want you to sneak down into the Midianite camp. Take your servant with you, you know, your bodyguard, because, you know, if you're scared, you need somebody to protect you. So he sneaks down into the camp with his servant. And there they overhear what I, like, to me, blows me away. Such a weird conversation. They overhear two soldiers talking, and one of them says, hey, dude, last night I had this dream, and there was this loaf of bread, and it, like, smashed our whole camp. And the other guy is like, well, obviously that means that Gideon is going to come in and destroy us. Obviously. Yeah. Don't, when you dream about a loaf of bread, aren't you thinking, obviously Gideon's going to come Something's destroy me, right? Destroyed. <laughs> yeah, which is so interesting, too, when you remember that God had already told Gideon what the outcome was, was going to be. God said to Gideon, I'm calling you to do this, and this is what you're going to do, and this is what's going to happen. But it wasn't until he heard this guy who had a dream about bread that he was like, oh, okay, like God was right. So in that moment, like just remember whose word he took. Right. He's, so this whole time God has been telling him, here's what we're going to do. 
And now he's finally at the point where he says, okay, let's do it. Mm-hmm. They go into battle, and exactly what God said would happen, happened. And they win. Mm-hmm. Gideon and his 300 dudes win against all odds. They take out the Midianite army. That's right. Exactly what God said was going to happen, happened. Despite all his excuses, once he finally obeyed, mm-hmm. victory happened. And that brings us to the question that we want to ask. There, there are a couple of questions we want to ask. And the first one is this. What are you called to do? Notice that the question isn't, are you called? The question is, what are you called to do? If you were here last week, you remember that Dave Gary came and he spoke. If you weren't here, he was a businessman who loved Jesus. But he talked about over and over again um, about being called and being obedient in that calling. And he said, You're not, not everybody's called to be a pastor, but everybody is called to something where they're at. So that's why our question isn't, are you called? It's, what are you called to? Because you are called to something. Right. I would imagine zero people here are called to lead the Israelites against the Midianites. I mean, but, mm-hmm. but we can still borrow a lot from Gideon's story. And this could be big things. Like, this could be, what are you called to do with your, with your life, a career, a, a job, things like that? This could be little things. This could be, is God calling you to talk to your neighbor about Jesus? Is he calling you to pull over and help that guy who's stopped on the side of the road with, the, with his hazards on? This could be big things. This, this could be little things. But what is God calling you to do? Mm-hmm. And then the second part of that question is this. Are you obeying or are you making excuses? I think a lot of times God prompts us to do things, and we rationalize it away. Mm-hmm. We make excuses. We say, well, that's not really me. You know, I don't, I don't do that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and, we, and we rationalize it away. Again, this is in the small things and in the big things we see this. I know mm-hmm. for me, I've made excuses. Mm-hmm. I, don't know about, I don't know about any of you, but I've made excuses. And sometimes it's on the small things. God will say, hey, I really want you to go over here and help this person. And I'll say, I do, I probably actually make that sound. And I say, Lord, you don't really want, you know what, they don't need help. Like I see that they're pulled over on the side of the road with a flat tire and they're crying, but I'm sure they have a cell phone. They have a cell phone, they call AAA, right? And I rationalize it away, I make excuses. Maybe it's the bigger things. In the process of being called into full-time ministry, my excuse to God was, well, no, God, I, I have a plan. Right, like I've got my, I have my direction in life. Like I went to school for something, and I'm doing that something, and I'm getting better at that. And I'm progressing. I'm, I'm furthering my education so that I can just, you know, blow the doors off this thing. And that's what I'm going to do in my life. That's my plan, Lord. And He says, No, I've got a, I've got a, I've got something else for you. Mm-hmm. And I, like, I make excuses all the time. I make more excuses than I want to admit that I make. Uh, but kind of the opposite of Josh, uh, I didn't have a plan. I was going to ministry school. I knew that was part of what I was supposed to do, but I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't know where I was going to go. I didn't know what I was going to do. But I did know that I didn't want to work in the church. Like, I didn't have a plan, but I knew what I didn't want to be a part of the plan. And God, same thing. Nah, I got something different for you. And I think, like, as we were prepping for this and really kind of thinking about why we make excuses and where our root for excuses comes from, we realize that all of the excuses we make are about me and I. It's about what I want and what I don't want. It's about what I think I can do and what I think I, I can't do. And uh, the more that we think about ourselves, the less we focus on God's calling for us and, and something greater. Like Gideon, he was so focused on his weakness or how he saw himself, it was about him. And when he finally was able to shift his focus, big things happened. 
Right, and that's, I think, a lot of, like she said, a lot of times with us, that's the same thing. Whether it's mm -hmm. pulling over to help somebody. No, that's outside of my comfort zone. Like, mm -hmm. it's me. It's me. No, Lord, this is my plan. Well, this is what I know. I don't want to leave something that I know for something that I don't know. Like, that, that, that freaks me out a little bit. But again, it's all, it's all focused on me. That's right. So what do we do about that? What do we do about that? I'll tell you what we do about that. We need to stop focusing on who we are. In quotes. You'll notice that's in quotes because... A lot of times, who we are is this combination of our self-perception. It's the combination of things that other people put on us. They say, oh, well, this is you. And we, and we take on all these identities, and some of them have no basis in reality. We say, oh, well, you know, you know growing up, you know, somebody said this about me. And, and you live into that when that, that has no, no basis in reality. Mm -hmm. I once had a, a teacher at school uh, get up and, and speak a word, and, and the name of his uh, message was, who told you that? Who told you that? Everyone say that. Who told you that? Who told, who told you that? And it was a really monumental moment for me because he was going through and he was saying, so who, who told you who you are? Was it your parents? Was it your siblings? Was it your coworker? Was it your boss? Like on and on. Who tells you who you are? Who, who does that? Because if you're listening to all these people and you're not listening to God, then who you are isn't founded in God. It's founded in all of these people. And, and he was saying, like, talking about that. Whose word do you take? Like, whose word are you listening to? Kind of like Gideon, where he was taking, uh, you know, he, it, God told him what was going to happen. God told him who he was, and he was focused and, and on other things, on himself. And then it wasn't until later, and he... he took somebody else's word before he took God's word. And had he taken God's word at the beginning, things might have been a little bit different. But just that idea of not focusing on, on who you are, um, but, but what's the other side? I'll let you take that. Well, the other side, and first, though, too, I think even if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, mm -hmm. you know, first of all, we're glad you're here. But if that's you this morning, still process through that. Mm -hmm. Whose identity are you living into? Are you letting the words of other people dictate how you live your life? Mm -hmm. When that's not even, that's not really you. Yep. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus, mm -hmm. I think the next step is super important. So once we stop focusing on who we are, we need to start focusing on who God is. Mm -hmm. Again, the whole time with Gideon, God is saying, Gideon, I am going to do something huge. And Gideon's like, well, but I'm the weakest. Gideon, I'm going to do this great thing. Well, are you really going to use me, God? Gideon, this is going to be great. You and 300 guys, you're going to go take them all out. I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> this was a mind-blowing thing for me as we were prepping for this message because, I mean, we hear it over and over again, but there's so much truth in it. Stop focusing on who you are and start focusing on who God is. And this second part of this was very mind-blowing to me. When you focus on who God is, who you are is changed. I'm going to say that again. When you focus on who God is, who you are is changed. You see, Gideon, he saw himself as the weakest in his family, which was legit. I'll let you talk about that in a second. Uh, but he was so focused on himself that he, that he didn't anything beyond that. He didn't think that he could do what God was calling him to do. But remember in chapter 6 when it said the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and then he was able to go get 32,000 men to follow him? If he had responded out of his own weakness or his own view of who he was, he couldn't have done it. 
But when he started to act in the spirit of the Lord, it was amazing what he was able to do. You see, you cannot spend time in the presence of God and not be changed. There's no way you can be in his presence and not be changed. Because like, like, like with Gideon, he was able to do more than what he thought he could do. And I think anytime we have stopped working or are doing things out of our own selves and stepped into what God had for us and worked under his power and his spirit, we're able to do things like sit up here and talk to you. <laughs> and, and here's the thing. I think it's important to acknowledge that sometimes our excuses are legitimate. Mm-hmm. Like for Gideon, she said, within his culture, social status meant something. They had pretty much no influence to where he could get up there and be like, all right, soldiers, come to me. Their, their response would have been, who in the world are you? You're nobody. That mattered in mm-hmm. his culture. Some of the things that we, we would say, oh, well, Lord, I would do what you want me to do, but maybe it's lack of resources. Maybe it's lack of a skill set or knowledge. And we say, Lord, I, like, I'm not equipped to do that. Maybe that's true. Sometimes our excuses are legitimate. Now, sometimes we just make lame excuses. We're like, Lord, I would do it, but there's a zebra there's in the road. There's a zebra in the road. I can't do that. <laughs> but, like she says here, when you focus on who God is, you'll realize it isn't about your resources. It's not about your skill set or your knowledge. It's about God's resources, which turns out he's got quite a few. Yeah, he's it's about powerful. his ability to work in the situation. I love what Paul says in the book of Ephesians. He talks about how for believers, those of us who follow Jesus, he says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, which that's, that's quite a bit of power. It's powerful. I don't know if you've raised anyone from the dead lately, but I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty powerful. That same power is available for those of us who believe. And he continues in Ephesians chapter 3, and he says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more. Everyone say immeasurably more. Immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine according to what? His power that is at work within us. Not our power, his power. And that's what we see with Gideon. Mm-hmm. Again, the whole time Gideon focused on himself, God is saying, nope, it's my power. My power is going to win the day. In our lives, when God calls us to do something, it isn't dependent on our ability. The whole God is sitting there waiting and saying, hey, take that step of obedience and you will see how I work in you and through you, because mm-hmm. it's not up to you to win. That's right. God's going to win. Yeah, it's really important. I, I, I didn't share this first service, but I think I should. It's, I think a lot of the times we get wrapped up and, th- and think that we're not worthy of what God has called us to because we're focused on all of the things that we are, and I think we get so wrapped up in that that we don't obey and we don't respond to what he's calling us to, and I, I think that is like a lie from Satan. I don't think we should fall into the, well, I know I'm called to do this, but I'm not worthy because duh, this is about me and this is about me and da 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 I, I think with that, like we just have to learn to take God at his word. Don't listen to all of the lies. Don't listen to all the things that are not truth. Like take God at his word. Know that he is who he says he is. We sang the song Great I Am earlier, which was amazing. The team rocked at that. But take God at his word. Take that God, the great I am, because there's no power in hell that can ever take that from you. Who you are in him really matters, and that's going to change how you respond to what he calls you to do. So for those of you that know, like you know, that you feel the Holy Spirit prompting you at times in your life, you're like, okay, for those of you that are in that place, again, walk out of here, stop making excuses, obey. Mm-hmm. Let God work through you. For those of you that are like, I'm not sure what God has called me to do, 
Start being intentional about taking that time, time with God, time in his word, time in prayer, to really learn to discern God's voice. So when he does speak to you, you recognize it. And then once you recognize it, obey. Take those steps of obedience. He's waiting. That power is waiting to work through you, through me, through Patricia, through, through everyone who's a follower of Jesus. That's right. We're, we're going to, uh, the team's going to sing a song for you. And some of you might be unfamiliar with it, but I, when I was listening to it this week, I could not get Gideon's story out of my head when I was listening to the song because I was like, ooh, that really depicts where he was and I think often where we are. And I love the lyric. It says, even in my weaknesses, Jesus, you are my confidence. So I come, I come. In my brokenness, you are my righteousness. So Jesus, I come. So I will stand redeemed, heaven open over me. And then it continues, and it just brings back glory to God and, and says, thank you, Jesus. Oh, what amazing love. I mean, it's amazing that he can use us despite who we are. I think that's amazing. And so I love that about the song. And then it says, just as I am, I come. No excuses. Just as I am, I, I come. See, Gideon didn't go and, like, work out and try to get, like, strong and be a mighty man of valor. When he stopped making excuses and responded to the calling that God had for him, he lived into that. And he was like, all right, you are God. I'm going to go get 32,000 men. Just as I am, I come. And I, I, I really pray that that is something we start doing in our walk with Jesus. To know, like, yes, sometimes we have those weaknesses, we have those moments where we're just like, there's no way we can do this. And if you step back and say, all right, God, in your spirit, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what you're calling me to do, it's amazing what he can do. He can do immeasurably more than all we can think or act. His ways are not our ways, right? And I think that's so neat. We're going to close in prayer, and then we're going to have you stand as we Father God, thank you. Lord, you do work through us. Lord, it it is a privilege to be part of your family. Lord, we thank you for choosing us. Lord, we might not be worthy, but it doesn't matter because Jesus is worthy. And you see that when you look at us. Lord, help us not make excuses. Help us to step out in obedience and to follow you, to start focusing on who you are because who you are is awesome.